It's go time. We come to the end of September, and that means we're into the playoff hunt in the Canadian Football League. Welcome, everyone, to Third Down Gamble. Don Charbon along with Heath Graham. Playoff scenarios abound as we get to this part of the season. Teams, all of them, are in the mix somehow. Some with a faint hope clause attached. Some are looking for home playoff dates. Yes, all nine teams still mathematically in the playoff hunt. It looks like there's going to be some clarity after this coming weekend. Depending on what happens, we can eliminate a team or two, possibly get the crossover picture completely off the table, or if things go the other way, everybody is still in the mix. Uh, Two things are certain at this point. Toronto has the first place in the East wrapped up and will host the Eastern Final. Winnipeg has solidified a home playoff date, either the Western Semifinal or Western Final. BC, with a win this week, secures a home playoff date as well. And then everything comes down to that Winnipeg-BC game coming up, where the winner probably will take all in terms of first place. That is going to be a fascinating game. I imagine the television audience for that one is going to be through the roof. Television ratings have been fantastic this year overall. And one story that's not been reported on, attendance in Toronto is way up over 2022. No coverage of that. Why? I don't know. The Argonauts are doing way better at the gate and it's a slow build. Okay. It's not that they're selling out, but they're getting there. This is what it takes. You have to work at it to make it happen. And the Argonauts, of course, with a great season, doesn't hurt. Winning, winning certainly helps for the Toronto Argonauts and coming off of a championship season, they have a very marketable quarterback in Chad Kelly as well. There's a lot of NFL fans in that Southern Ontario region that are familiar with his uncle Jim in the NFL with the Buffalo Bills, of course, for many, many seasons. So that helps with the familiarity and they have re-upped Michael Pinball Clemens to a contract extension, which we know how much the CFL means to Pinball and how much Pinball means to the CFL. A great move by that organization to lock him up. And that can only help boost the momentum for the Argonauts. 7-0 and in Grey Cup appearances when Michael Clemens is on the team, whether as a player, coach, or president general manager. Take your pick. He is undefeated. The Ottawa Red Blacks, let's start with the East, are in fourth place right now. They still have an outside shot of making it all. However, their road goes through Montreal and Toronto. That's the final four games that they have. For what it's worth, the Red Blacks have to win out to really make it. Can this be done? A lot of help has come back to the defense, at least, where we've seen Jovan Santos-Knox and Mondrashik Hunter, or Money Hunter, as he's colloquially known, are both back. That's two huge pieces of the pie, especially Hunter, who has not been there for most of the season. They've missed him deeply, but can they do this? Toronto, we know, already has made some waves by announcing a different starting quarterback for the game in Winnipeg. Whether you think that's fair that Cameron Duke starts or not, 
we knew at some juncture Chad Kelly was going to be on the bench. I'll get to that Argonaut starting quarterback situation in a minute here, but just to recap, the Red Blacks are currently sitting at 4-10, and 10, so they have the same number of wins as Calgary and Edmonton, but more importantly, to get into the playoffs, they need to either catch and pass the Hamilton Tiger Cats, who are at 6-8, and eight, or pass the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, who are at 6-8, and eight, and not have Calgary or Edmonton overtake anybody in that mix as well. So a very tall task for the Red Blacks, not mathematically impossible, but I would say unlikely at this point to be two games back in both the crossover and in their own division makes it very tough. They need everything to go their way and can't have many more wins coming for those teams in front of them. The Red Blacks, you're correct, although they could technically catch the Alouettes in the East if they win out. The other thing to think about, though, is that Hamilton and Montreal play on the final weekend of the season, and if anywhere in that mix Hamilton has won up to that point and then wins again, then Ottawa gets pushed back to third. For Edmonton, as we indicate, 4-11 right now, three games to go, huge loss to BC. If they had a chance, they had to keep winning. They did not manage to do so against the Lions at Commonwealth. What it means for them is that the crossover is almost all done. Hamilton winning anywhere or Edmonton losing anywhere and it is finished. The other part of the equation, the West. If they were to finish third, now they've got to win out and have Saskatchewan nor Calgary finished with seven wins. Saskatchewan plays Calgary down the stretch. The The quickest way to look at that is the scenarios of this weekend. So Edmonton and Ottawa can both be eliminated from playoff contention if Montreal, Hamilton, and Saskatchewan all win their games. So those are, are three games that if they go one direction, that playoff picture gets a lot more clear. I think Ottawa has as little chance as Edmonton of making the playoffs right now. Both of those teams need so many things to go right. The margin of error is very, very slim. And barring a, a miracle at this point, we haven't seen either either of these teams string together a number of wins. So the expectation to win three or four in a row to push into the playoffs is a, a tall ask. I would slightly favor the Edmonton Elks with their recent play over the Red Blacks as far as which team has the better opportunity to make it into the playoffs. But from what we've seen, a three or four game winning streak for either of these teams is a, a tall task. Absolutely. And let's look at the Calgary Stampeders with their loss last week. It's going to be the first time since 2007 that this team isn't going to finish 500 or better. That's an amazing run. That's John Huffnagel's influence on that franchise all these years. It's a sad thing in a sense because you see a very powerful team now stumbling, but having the run that they did, it was always tainted, I guess, in some senses that they didn't string together more Grey Cup victories while they were on top. It's just one of the things in football, especially Canadian football, it's tough to go back to back. Stampeders were unable to do that. Now, having said that, they are... At four wins, they've got it tough to get through this mess. They've got to go in on Saturday, beat the Ticats, take a week off to get themselves sorted, 
come back and face the Rough Riders at home. Then the Stamps finish their last two games, one game in BC, the final game of the year in Winnipeg. What their hope of hope of hopes is, is that Winnipeg has been decided where they're finishing by the time they arrive at Calgary. That gives them a better opportunity to manage them. However, Winnipeg on the road hasn't been as great as their home record by any imagination either. So Calgary could deal with them anyway. And remember, it's the Stampeders that have handed the Argonauts their only loss. An unusual sight to see the Stampeders finishing below 500. And even more shocking is their potential to miss the playoffs completely. We've seen them actually win Grey Cups as a team with a sub-500 record in the past, so not unheard of. But certainly the model of consistency over the last 15 years in the CFL and a changing of the guard we've seen over the last couple of seasons, the uptick in the Blue Bombers and the BC Lions in the West. Pro sports can be very cyclical, and this is the downward trend for the Stampeders. How long that lasts remains to be seen. Things can turn around very quickly. They could easily be 13-5 and five next year, and, and this would be a one-off. Or it can be a slow rebuild to get back up into that top contender spot. Whether you're a fan of Jake Mayer or not, he has taken a lot of the heat for what's happened with that franchise. Granted, he's only really in his second full season as their starting quarterback. Yet that offense has been really meteoric. It's either really good some days or really terrible other days, or even within a game. It can be off for 45 minutes and great for the last 15. Something's got to be changed in Calgary to make that offense better. The defense has been solid. They don't you know, wow you with impressive numbers, but they keep the team in the game. Saskatchewan, the last of the teams that are sort of on that bubble, as it were, First off, they've got to go to BC with a BC Lions team that is still looking for first place. And depending on what happens earlier that night, if Winnipeg beats Toronto, BC will probably want to keep pace regardless and beat the Riders. The Riders are stumbling right now themselves. The Riders come back home to play the Tiger Cats in a massive game. Regardless of what happens this weekend, the Tiger Cats are looking to make the playoffs and maybe get a second place finish, they've got to keep winning. The Riders host them, and then they go to Calgary for another colossal game. The Riders finish the season a week early against Toronto, who we know are finished for the year in terms of what they need from the season. There is some downside to clinching this early, and we saw the Bombers in that same scenario last year where they wrapped up first place pretty quickly. This is a great thing for the league to still see every team with something to play for at this point. Other than, I guess, the Toronto Argonauts, if you want to argue that they have first place locked up, they can start looking at load management, who to rest when, how long starters will stay in, that sort of thing. And this is where I'm going to talk a little bit about that Winnipeg-Toronto game coming up this weekend. I've always been a proponent for that Grey Cup rematch on opening week of the season. I know you have a differing opinion on that, but the schedule makers missed the mark this season, given that now the Argonauts have wrapped things up. We're going to see their backup quarterback in for a game against Winnipeg this late in the season. It was the much anticipated Grey Cup rematch, and it's going to be a, a skeleton roster 
as it appears for the Argonauts. AJ Olette is out. Andrew Harris is out. Chad Kelly is out. There may be more roster changes as well. So week one of the season, there's a lot to play for. Had Winnipeg not dropped a couple of games earlier, this could be two teams that had the first place locked up already and it wouldn't be that much of a a full-scale attack by either team. Fortunately, Winnipeg is still in the hunt to wrap up first place, so they still have something to play for. Had Montreal not lost four in a row, they could be still nipping at the heels of the Argonauts at this point in time. I don't blame the schedule maker for this. This could have had the optic of being the two best teams chasing down first place, meeting head-to-head to determine in their division who's going to win first place. It just so happened that the Argonauts got to the finishing line first. One thing that was talked about during the game last week with Toronto, they've got to start figuring out who they want to take with them to the playoffs. And one of the things you've got to do is start playing some subs. Uh, We hear about this in the NBA about load management. This isn't load management. I hate that term in football because that's ridiculous. You've got a limited roster You've got so many people that you want to see in game action. Here's your opportunity. For the most part, that defense is still going to be intact. Winnipeg still has to figure out how to beat it. It may be Cameron Duke's signature party for him to say, look, I'm I'm a starting quarterback in this league. Fair point, but we're in week 17 before we get this matchup. And I just think that that's a, that's a fail. There, There's too much potential to have this game mean a lot more even three, four weeks ago. But I, as I said, I've always been a fan of that that rematch in week one to really kick off the league and kick off the season. We're not going to see eye to eye on this one, but I, I feel like this game was a long time coming. Andrew Harris has now had two seasons with the Toronto Argonauts. Didn't get a chance to play in Winnipeg at all last year because they weren't scheduled to play in Winnipeg. And now he's gone for the season and, and unable to play. So it's that's a real miss as well. I, I feel bad for Andrew Harris and the Winnipeg fans to not get that opportunity to see him back in game action in Winnipeg. But he would likely be on the sideline regardless. And Winnipeg could do something nice for him on the video board, giving him some acknowledgement for all the years that he helped them to their Grey Cups. I don't see this as a problem. You could have had this game as colossal as it could be It just didn't work out. That's not a schedule maker's fault. That's the way the league played out. You can't blame people. You got Hamilton and Saskatchewan the following week. And you could say, well, why are they playing across the division from each other? Well, look at how important that game is. I mean, the Riders are playing the Stampeders the following week. Look how important that game is. We've got games all over the place that matter greatly to the finish of the season. Too bad that the Argonauts won early and made the Winnipeg game meh. They might still win it, might still meet in the Grey Cup. Then you can have your big colossal rematch. We do know that down south, they are in their NFL schedule. And this is kind of like one of my pet peeves about the NFL. This business of the 10 second runoff, we don't have it in the CFL. There's nothing even comparable in the CFL. But this happens when it's deemed, I think circumstances such as if an offense, the clock is running and an offense goes illegal procedure, 
A uh, player is tackled they thought was out of bounds. They look on replay. They find out the person was inbound, so they have to run 10 seconds off. That's not the team's fault that you screwed that up. That's, that's, a, that's a call on the field. Why are you punishing anyone? Why are you forcing someone to take a timeout? I hate, hate, hate that 10-second runoff thing. It just helps defenses. And at the end of the game, do you want to see a defense dominate or do you want to see an offense have a chance? That's one of the great things about the CFL that we talk about often is how exciting the last three minutes of a CFL game can be because of how the clock runs. The NFL, too many times we see a team make a first down with about a minute 30 left on the clock and can kneel it out and they shake hands at center field and away they go. In the CFL, your two and outs at the end in those last three minutes run 40 seconds, 50 seconds off the clock, gives you more time to get the ball back and and for something to happen. And a 10-second runoff makes it even worse for the NFL because you're not even making those teams run the clock. The, The refs are doing it for them. Well, the other thing they do too is, and it's somehow related to this, if a player gets injured in the last, I think it's two minutes of the game, that team is going to take a timeout because they're thinking, what, that he's faking it? Maybe a guy goes down, but then change your rules. If a, you think a guy is just going down to stop the clock and, and give his defense, offense some rest, put him off the field for four plays. Make it real simple. The CFL does that with the three play. If you Nothing's stopping a guy from kneeling down in the huddle and saying, I'm hurt but you're off for three plays. You better make sure that you don't matter for those three plays because you're taking a big chance. Absolutely. That's that's another great rule that we have in the CFL is to get those players off. It definitely happens in both leagues. There, there are phantom injuries, phantom cramps that happen late in a game. There's no way to properly eliminate that from happening. It's It's going to happen. The more team strategically use it it's just going to continue to be a part of the game running the clock off again it just it just eliminates that opportunity especially if a team's trying to make a comeback you're penalizing them whether they're on offense or defense at the time of that runoff doesn't really matter it's still taking time away that could be game time and and could be really key in changing the outcome Over the last two episodes of this podcast, we've been talking about player safety and some of the things that we've been talking about is protecting quarterbacks and no more tackles below the knees. Let's just get rid of that so that people have long careers. Well, here we go. Uh, The game, New Orleans versus Green Bay. And I know we're a CFL-based podcast, but football's football, wherever you play it. New Orleans quarterback Derek Carr is grabbed and literally torqued and thrown into the ground. You know, in wrestling, they call it a suplex. I've heard it used in the CFL every once in a while. But basically, you're just using your your momentum, you're twisting your body, and you're using that inertia to drive the player into the ground. Well, he leaves the game with a shoulder injury, and guess what? The game flips. I've watched the replay a few times, and it was a very fast play. There was two defensive players for the Packers kind of converging on Derek Carr, It was somewhat excessive, but I don't think it had malicious intent. 
it, it, it was a matter of wrapping him up and throwing him to the ground. Granted, you have to take into consideration the size of players in the NFL. The CFL has its its number of monsters, but those those NFL guys are huge. So the momentum and the, the physical strength that they had in, in throwing him to the ground was an unfortunate result. And when we talk about roughing the passer in the CFL, we often look at it from the perspective of was that preventable? Quarterbacks being pancaked, that sort of thing. If the defender wraps him up and is taking him to the ground but kind of rolls off, it's a, a less forceful impact. This one would definitely be considered preventable. There was a way to take him down without causing the shoulder injury. Unfortunately, now we've got another starting quarterback that's going to be looking at a long recovery time. I don't know if Carr is actually on the shelf as long as maybe that first looked. Again, towards the week's end, we'll find out exactly. It's the it's the whole notion that if we want to pay these guys X dollars for being the stars of the league, then you're going to have to do something to figure out how to keep them on the field. You can't have your best players watching the game alongside of you. It just doesn't make any sense. And if you're going to treat quarterbacks as running backs once they leave the pocket, I mean, that's absurd. And in in some measure, they do it in the CFL. To me, a quarterback is a quarterback. I don't care where you're standing on the field. You've got to be treated as such. That person is so integral to a team. You cannot change the condition of his existence by where he stands, i.e. he breaks through the line, i.e. he runs to the edge to throw a football and crosses the line of scrimmage. No, no, you've got to protect that person wherever they are on the field. I think that's fair. One of the challenges for the defense that I will try to defend them on here a little bit is the initiation of a slide by a quarterback. My argument against that is that so many times the defense will lead with its helmet or with its shoulder as that quarterback is going down. You don't have to. You just need to touch them on the shoulder with your hand. If they're going down, that's all you need to do to finish the play, but they take that shot. And if you're not protecting them, they won't be there anymore. How many quarterbacks does it take? We are now with Toronto starting Dukes, I think. We are now up to 24 starting quarterbacks in the CFL this year. For a small league, that's a lot of humanity. That's getting close to three per team if you look at it that way. I'm with you on the protection of the quarterbacks. And we saw a case in point this year when the Elks and Bombers were playing. Zach Kolaris took a shot that was completely unnecessary and preventable. He ended up missing a game due to injury from that play. Those shots need to be taken out of the game to protect the integrity, to protect those star players. And the CFL does it better of calling roughing the passer just regardless of where the incident occurs on the field. The NFL needs to take that into consideration as well. Davis Sanchez may not agree with us. He, as a defensive player, thinks that the quarterback should not get special protection necessarily in these situations. But sorry, Davis, I'm I'm against you on this one. There's a lot more people coming to watch Chad Kelly and Zach Kolaris and Vernon Adams play than, than any of the defensive backs. 
second down. We start second down in Ottawa, where the Red Blacks break their losing streak and defeat the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in what could have been a repeat of their game against the BC Lions. It had that feel as we went into the final 90 seconds of that football game where the Rough Riders suddenly found themselves with an opportunity to maybe tie the game. This was a huge win for the Red Blacks. This is necessary to keep those playoff hopes alive. They came up with the big win when they had to. They they almost let it slip. The As you mentioned, the Rough Riders had a chance to finish that game. They were down eight points, a touchdown and a two-point convert, ties that game and pushes it into overtime. Interestingly, the Rough Riders at the beginning of the sequence, when they could have kicked a single point to keep them on a decent number, decided to go for two and they didn't make it. The Rough Riders, as I was talking to my wife at the time, I said, once the kick return by Mario Alford went into the end zone, several sequences that have to work well. One, they got to get a short kick. Well, they got that. Then they've got to score a quick touchdown. They did that. Then they've got another short kick coming. They've got to get that. They didn't. Very interesting technique to have the ball sit sideways and basically spin it. And what the Rough Riders were preying on was the upbacks, the guys that are blocking to keep the Rough Riders away from that free ball, blocking up front and having the ball carom off of one of them. And in the first instance and almost in the second instance, we saw the same thing where the ball came towards the foot of one of the players. Onside kicks are an exciting play. Whether it's a successful one or it's recovered by the receiving team, there's always a lot of chaos. And this one was well played by Ottawa to not touch it with those guys up front and let it get into the the sure hands of the players in behind to solidify this game. Uh, A really entertaining game once again. You have to feel good for the Red Blacks and Bob Dice to get that losing streak off their back here again. And we'll see if they can finish the season with a bit of positive momentum that will, will carry them through into next year. Craig Dickinson has a winning record against the Red Blacks, but he's never won in Ottawa during his tour. Jake Dolagala, 25 of 36 for 294 yards, two interceptions, one huge early, and two touchdown passes. Dustin Crum stayed within himself, 21 of 27, 243 yards, and two touchdown passes. What Ottawa did this time that they didn't do against BC, and it was eerily similar, a kick return goes for a score, but Ottawa in that quarter had scored 14 points, where against BC they had scored none and gave up that huge 19-point lead in that quarter. Yes, this was a, a stronger finish by the Red Blacks. We've seen games get away from them with their inability to move the ball and, and get points on the board. So a, a really solid fourth quarter for the Red Blacks. Um, one thing I'm curious to see for the Rough Riders, Trevor Harris, there's talk of him getting close to being ready to return at some point. What happens in that situation? I know we've talked about it before. Has Jake Dolagala shown enough that he is the number one guy to carry them through the rest of the season? Or do you go back to Trevor Harris to try to lock up those playoff spots and and into the playoffs? Just off the top of my head, I think Dola Gala has done more than enough to stay as the starter. You look at the offense and the point values that they've been able to put up, they're doing all right. I 
don't remember Harris putting up big numbers except against Winnipeg in Regina. That was the only game where he went off. Saskatchewan in the league is second worst in terms of total offense. So you could argue that maybe they need to kickstart, but then in terms of total points allowed on the defense, they are by far the worst in the league. Changing quarterbacks isn't your problem. It's something on the defense that's got to be fixed. And one other thing to look at on offense as well, Frankie Hickson had a fantastic first half. I believe he had eight carries for 60-some yards, 69 yards, I believe, in the first half, one carry in the second half. So his average per carry was 8.6. He had a total of nine carries for 77 yards. But what happened to that run game in the second half? Why would they go away from something that was successful in moving the ball and getting first downs? It's sort of an old coach's crutch that if you get behind, you abandon the running game and you start chucking. And I, I've never understood that because, as you said, Hickson was doing very well. And why is it the prerogative of the team that's ahead that they can continue to use their running game? You're not chewing up that much more clock, especially if you're actually getting back to the huddle, getting back to the line quickly so that you can keep moving and not chew up a lot of clock time. A Saskatchewan, that was a real puzzler and it did, I think, cost them in the end. Another running back goes off against the Rough Riders. Devontae Williams, 22 carries, 136 yards. It's week after week after week, somebody's having a big night against the Rough Riders. And when does that stop? Is there, what is up with the, the defensive line? That's a puzzler as well. And just one more point on, on Hickson. If my math is correct, 8.6 yards per carry is a lot better than zero yards on an incomplete pass. So we, we talk about going away from it, but when you're getting that many yards, you're leaving yourself in a second and short on a first down carry more often than not. It, it just seemed illogical. I understand there's this mode that coaches get into of needing to push the ball down the field. I, I just think that mixing some more runs in could have been more successful for the, the Rough Riders down the stretch. The run defense for the Riders continues to baffle me as well. I, I There's been some, some great spots on that defensive line. I think Lanier has been a, a solid defensive lineman. Pete Robertson, I don't know what's going on that they're allowing those big yards, but we've seen it, as you, as you mentioned. Brady Oliveira ate them up. Devontae Williams had a big night. They're just giving up way too many yards up the middle on those run plays. Second down conversions, one of the things that's a great metric in terms of where a team is. Saskatchewan is dead last in terms of second down conversions at 42.4%. There are three teams that are at about 50 and above percent success rate in the CFL. Guess which three they are? BC, Toronto, and Winnipeg. Second down matters. If you're getting 8.6 average on first down, your second down success rate will skyrocket. I agree with you. I Not that Dolagala is not a bad choice. He is. He's fine. But you're right. An incompletion is zero. A sack takes you back. It just doesn't make sense. Why go away from something that was working? The nightcap had the BC Lions in Edmonton to take on the Edmonton Elks. The Lions, who had not allowed 
the Elks to score this season upon them. Still kept them off the score sheet in the first quarter. And you're thinking, wait a minute, Edmonton did score in the first quarter, but that was their defense. And the Lions put up 21 points themselves in that first quarter as well. So this one looked early like it was going to be a, a runaway for the Lions. The Elks did a good job of keeping it competitive. They had a better second quarter. Ended up losing by eight points, but we see a lot more fight from the Elks in the second half of the season than we did in the first half. Edmonton at no point in this game ever led. Huge crowd in Edmonton, over 25,000. The other thing, and we talked about it, I think, on this podcast, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but we were talking about how do you contain Trey Ford. And I said, pincer with your ends, drive him through the middle, and have your middle linebacker take care of him. Guess what BC did all night? The ends kept him in between the hash marks, and the middle linebacker found him. It really curtailed his effectiveness. It did. He still had five carries for 43 yards, but the big difference maker was they also contained Kevin Brown. Six carries for 18 yards in this one. He had a huge game the week before. BC really put a stop to that run game, made Trey Ford try to beat them with his arm. He was 20 of 27 for 182 yards and two touchdowns. So again, less than 10 yards per completion, unable to push the ball down the field. And uh, and that BC defense really seems to have the number of the Elks. Taquan Mizell, on the other hand, had 112 yards rushing for the BC Lions. Vernon Adams Jr. had 54. He outrushed Trey Ford. Adams, 16 of 26 for 265 yards, two touchdowns and two interceptions. That's part of his package. But as you mentioned, 21 points in that first quarter. The Lions set the tone. They did, and I mentioned Trey Ford less than 10 yards per completion. Vernon Adams, 16 completions for 265. So the Lions did a great job of pushing the ball down the field. You look at some of the long catches. Keon Hatcher had a 57-yarder. Alexander Hollins had a 21-yarder. Justin McInnes. Javon Javon Katoy had a 57-yarder. You're right. It, It adds up, and you look at the Elks. Their longest reception was 33 just doesn't equate and I you could argue okay they're not throwing the ball as deep but you're not breaking plays for quick scores either and especially the Javon Katoy play it was an out that there was a mix-up and bam he was gone. Promise that we've seen from the Elks over these last five or six weeks has brought some of those fans back. There are a lot of very dedicated Elks fans that win or lose are there week in and week out. Some of them have been on this podcast, so shout out to to our, our friends at the Turf District and everybody in Edmonton. But great to see that the belief is coming back around and, and that's converting to more people in that stadium. The bigger the crowd is, the more noise they can make and the more they can influence the game. This is what Edmonton wants to do. They want to have that crowd back and enthusiastic. Get them going, get them excited. It's just BC had other designs on what was going to happen. We go to Saturday night. Bit of a stunner where the Montreal Alouettes go into Calgary, beat the Stampeders handily 28-11, looked very good doing it, and had Jake Mayer and that Calgary offense just discombobulated. They did. Two interceptions for Jake Mayer, 29 of 37, 271 yards. And a touchdown, but two picks. It seemed like every time 
Calgary got the ball back, there was anticipation that a couple of big plays could turn this game around. Montreal's defense just stepped up and, and shut them down. The amount of times that Calgary was unable to convert on second down and again unable to push the ball down the field. We've seen a lot of success when Calgary's offense does force it down the field. Other than Reggie Bagleton in this one, there wasn't a lot of bright spots on that offense. Neither team scores in the first quarter, then Montreal scores the Stampeders 11-8 in the second Montreal does all the scoring in the third and outscores the Stampeders in the fourth. Again, at no point during this game did the Stampeders have a lead. It's a different football game when you're out front. And I agree with you completely about the lack of quality attempts down the field. The Stampeders just don't seem to have it. And yet they've got great depth receivers. Mark and Michelle has taken it to the house from his own 25-yard line. There's Luther Hakavananu is another one. I don't understand why you aren't trying to open up that defense. Solid game for Cody Fajardo. We know he's had some struggles kind of at the midpoint of this season, but 22 of 29, 252 yards, one touchdown, one interception. A big win for the Alouettes was they did not give up a sack in this one. They protected Cody Fajardo well, and that is huge because we know... He's been the most sacked quarterback over the last couple of seasons. So to keep him upright gave them an opportunity to win and for that offense to move the ball. And on the other hand, Jake Mayer was sacked four times and the Lemonator made his presence felt with two sacks and an interception. Yeah, a lot of looks back towards that Calgary Stampeders bench by Lemon as well. Maybe kind of reminding them that uh, that they let him go when they had the opportunity to get him back on that defense. Sean Lemon, who put down the gauntlet at halftime of that game in his halftime interview, Lemon, it took him half a season and Montreal came knocking and said, okay, we need you. And look at what he's done. And now they've got Darnell Sankey, another former Stampeder, patrolling the middle of that field. It's little wonder that the Stampeders were struggling because those are two impressive forces. And they put up some big numbers. Sean Lemon, four tackles, one tackle for loss, two sacks. And Darnell Sankey had 10 tackles himself. So some big numbers on the stat sheet for two former Stampeders. The nightcap at BMO Field, a nice crowd again. And as we mentioned in the outset, attendance is growing in Toronto. The Argonauts take control early. Taylor Powell looks really that he's struggling against the Argonaut defense. We haven't given them enough credit this year. They have been spectacular. Toronto jumps out to a 16-3 lead and basically cruises to a 29-14 victory. Week to week in the CFL is always something to marvel at. We saw Winnipeg have a near-perfect game against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and then Taylor Powell comes in and has a near-perfect game against Winnipeg to score the upset. This week against the Argonauts, he looked very pedestrian and seemed to struggle. So you never know what's going to happen from one game to the next. I know I run into that trying to pick fantasy teams here as well. A guy has a a great week. You look at Kevin Brown with the Edmonton Elks, has a huge week one week, and then the next week he's held to 18 yards. There's, There's a lot of weird things that happen that you don't see coming. Taylor Powell still had over 330 yards passing, but that was on 42 attempts. The 
Argonauts defense kept them out of the end zone when it mattered the most. We had speculated prior to the game that maybe the one thing that you could get the Argos on was a rushing attack. James Butler had been going well. 13 carries for 32 yards will not. Powell, 27 completions to get that 334 yards. Chad Kelly, 17 of 26. Again, a low number. 242 yards, a long of 70 yards to Dejon Brissett that went for a touchdown. Two picks, two touchdown passes. Uh, Brissett getting them both, ironically. The Argonauts looked like they were in control. Nothing was bothering them. Wenton McManus almost had two pick sixes. It just looked like Toronto was toying with the Ticats at times in that first half. Chad Kelly just does enough to win. He doesn't have to be flashy in these games. Only completed 17 passes, but he, he got the touchdowns. He got the points on the board. Yes, he threw a couple of picks in this one, but... All in all, one thing that Chad Kelly has done really well this year has been to protect that football, and they continue to put up the points. That Argonauts team looks very, very good, and having first place locked up this early puts them at that advantage as well. So you have to think that the Argonauts are the Grey Cup favorite at this point of the season. We move ahead to week 17 in the Canadian Football League, and we start with Heath's disappointment. My, it's a game, deal with it. The Toronto Argonauts and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in Winnipeg. Winnipeg, seven and a half point favorites. I'm sure a lot of that has to do with A, their home record, and B, the fact that Cameron Dukes is starting at quarterback for Toronto. I think B maybe has a little bit more to play in it, although if you look at Winnipeg's margin of victory at home it is massive so seven and a half isn't unrealistic I like Winnipeg at home in this one I I think given that Dukes is going to be the starting quarterback and Winnipeg and BC are neck and neck for that West Division final we know Winnipeg wants to host that final in the cold weather in November they're going to be motivated in this one so I'm going to take the Bombers points might be hard to come by they still have to face that Toronto defense but I think the difference maker is Toronto will struggle to score points Winnipeg will do enough to cover the spread is Winnipeg going to take their foot off the pedal because Cameron Dukes is on the other side do they think this game has now gotten a little bit easier you do so at your own peril if you think that Toronto defense has taken the night off Winnipeg likely to cover at home I'm not seeing Cameron Dukes putting up 28 points against the Blue Bomber defense. Late Friday, the Rough Riders are in BC for their final matchup of the season. BC nine and a half point favorites going into this contest. BC, as you mentioned, in a dogfight with Winnipeg for first place. They want to keep pace. A win certainly does that for them. The Rough Riders who have lost three in a row. Yeah, their last win was Labor Day have to figure out something and it's not their offense it's their defense nine and a half is a pretty big spread we've seen winnipeg cover bigger ones than that at home by a large margin bc has been in some pretty tight games at home recently as well i like the lions to win this one but i believe the rough riders will do enough to beat the spread i'm going to go with the lions all the way bc other than eastern opponents have dominated at bc place the Rough Riders, the last time they were there, they had Mason Fine as their quarterback. Their defense kept them in the game. I don't think they can do that this time. The other thing you got to consider when it's 
BC, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are now playing out of their time zone going west. They just played in the eastern time zone. Now they're moving to the western time zone. This game starts 8.30 local time in Regina, which is going to put it almost to midnight by the time it ends. I, I can't see what the Riders are going to do to get inside this spread. I just can't. On Saturday, we've got two huge games in terms of playoff implications in the east. First off, we have the Montreal Alouettes taking on the Ottawa Red Blacks. The Alouettes on the road. Two and a half point favorites. They made Montreal a favorite in Calgary. I balked. I'm not balking this time. I think <laughs> I better listen to these odds makers and realize that maybe they know a little bit. Well, maybe they know a lot more than what I do when it comes to this stuff. Alouettes are healthy. That defense is getting so much better. They came close last time. They had Montreal in the ropes, but they couldn't finish them. This small a spread, Montreal winning on the road to clinch a playoff spot. I'd be with them. This one's the most intriguing match of the week for me, given that Ottawa got off the schneid last week with a win. Although Montreal's defense, I'm with you on that one. They are going to be the difference maker. I will also take Montreal on the road to win this one. It's it's going to be a, a good game, but I just think that with everything on the line for the Alouettes, it'll give them that extra motivation. The late game on Saturday has the Calgary Stampeders in Hamilton to take on the Tiger Cats, and it's almost a pick em. Depending on which betting site you're on, it's either half a point all the way to a point and a half. We're going to say it's a point and a half for the home team, the Ticats. So Calgary would have to upset to beat that. Stampeders are just an enigma. You think of how well they played to beat Edmonton, how well they played in Toronto and almost upset the Argonauts. They did beat the Argonauts in Calgary. And yet there are times where they look very ordinary for example, against Montreal last week at home. It just looks so weird to me to see Calgary at 4-10. and 10. You, you talk about them, you think they're a competitive team. They, they are the only team that's defeated the Argonauts so far this season, yet that was only one of four wins. I will take the Tiger Cats at home in this one. It looks like they're in a dogfight with the Alouettes for a home playoff game and to keep pace, they're going to need this one. Calgary could come out and pull off the upset, but I, I just think that the Tiger Cats are going to right the ship here. And this is one that they're going to, going to come out on top. Play it out this way. If Montreal beats Ottawa, the Tiger Cats have to win to keep pace. If Ottawa beats Montreal, now the Tiger Cats are looking over their shoulder going, here come the Red Blacks. We've got to do something about this so we secure our spot because if they want to be in the show at the end of the season, which they are hosting, and we've learned that Carrie Underwood is going to be part of the Built in the Hammer Grey Cup Music Festival ahead of the game, you better do something now. This is your opportunity to start making noise that you belong in that football game. Hamilton to cover at home. For the Calgary Stampeders, it's getting to be all or nothing now. Either they start winning and winning consistently or this season is a write-off. Thank you for listening to our show. 
Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.